Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. Let's face it, the future is now. We're living in a connected cyber society, and we need to stop ignoring it or pretending that it's not affecting us. Join us as we explore how humanity arrived at this current state of digital reality and what it means to live amongst so much technology and data. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. And we're live. Well, actually, we're not live. We're recording. So if you're watching this, it's already happened. So this is Marco Ciappelli with Redefining Society podcast on ITSP Magazine. Uh, today, again, uh, same disclaimer, if you're listening to this, there is a video version. If you're watching this and you want to listen to this later on in the car, you can do that because it's going to be a podcast version as well. And there'll be everything in the note. Um, not me alone. That's boring, as I always say. I have a great guest today, uh, Gary, Gary Guzenov. I hope I pronounced your last name correctly. If not, it's because I'm Italian, so sorry, I get away with a murder. Uh, <laughs> but uh, happy to have you on the show. Let, um, tell me a little bit about yourself, and then we're going to dig into what we are planning to talk about today. Sure. For the Finance uh, Society. Yeah, Marco, thanks uh, for having me on the show. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I've been in a cybersecurity space for over 20 years. I started a company called Cyber Defender in 2003. Prior to that, I was in the uh, direct response of customer acquisition business. I had my own agency. I've also co-founded a few tech companies. One of them is an influencer marketing company that ultimately brought TikTok to the United States. And so I'm very familiar with uh, uh, customer acquisition. Marketing required over a billion consumers. I've managed about five to ten billion dollars of media, and have done about five hundred million dollars of venture capital, private equity fundraising for my different uh, ventures. I currently run a company called Real Defense. We're a Pasadena-based tech company. We provide cybersecurity, privacy, and uh, optimization software and technology uh, services to consumers directly. We also license our technology. We're in uh, thirty-three countries. We are in four thousand retail stores. We're partnered with Lenovo, Dell, some of the biggest PC manufacturers in the world. And we're the leading company in this category in terms of scale. We have millions of subscribers and uh, very profitable and growing, raised about $15 million in, in, in working capital over the past five years. That's a lot. It's good. It is. Good stuff. So you've been in this industry for a while and uh, 
That's a good thing. I mean, uh, I always think 14, 10, 20 years in this industry, it's, it's, uh, it's centuries of culture. Yeah. If you look back in history, like, you know, sometimes we have conversation. We've been doing this ITSP magazine thing for eight years. And, uh, and I look back at five years, I'm like, wow, things have changed. But you know what? What isn't change is I, I feel there's still that the need for education for consumers, and I, I think today we're gonna dig into that. I mean, I'm sure you can talk about a heavy cybersecurity, but that's not that channel. That's my my partner Sean that, that talk about more um, cybersecurity. In this case, it's more for me the relationship between security technology, which always come together, you can't really divide it, and, and our daily life and mass media and social media and all of that. So i like maybe to start with a, a look back of what, what you have learned and what you've seen changed into how things have become better, worse for consumers and, uh, and their knowledge and, and about cybersecurity, privacy, and the way they interact with, with all of this. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, uh, you, know, you know, I was always concerned about privacy more than I was concerned about cybersecurity and this is as in comparison to, um, you know, if you compare the two. And you, you have to look at cybersecurity from just a, a sort of general understanding that you have to block and tackle threats at all times. So there's viruses, malware, there's Trojans, all kinds of attacks that happen on devices all the time. And those attacks have to be blocked and tackled. So that's obvious and you have to have, it's like having a bumper in your car or a seatbelt, you have to have it. The privacy area is very ambiguous. It's, it's uh, unpredictable, it's unknown, it's undefined for many reasons. It's not defined as a category in terms of, when you say privacy, do you mean your physical privacy? Do you mean your photos? Do you mean videos? Do you mean YouTube? Do you mean your geolocation? Do you mean when you're walking into Starbucks and and Starbucks tracks your, you know, on, you know, goings and and your what you've purchased is that part of privacy? Where does it start? Where does it end? It, there's no definition. So the the opportunity I think is comes down to understanding what your risks are as a consumer, focusing on what you can control which, and and not focusing on what you can't control not expect technology companies that are not in the business of privacy like uh, social media networks and others expect them to protect your privacy that's not their business they're not there to protect your privacy they're there to exploit information and <laughs> right. i was going to go there <laughs> well yeah they're they're making money off of your behavior they're not trying to hurt you they're not trying to make your life miserable that's not their intent but you have to understand what's happening. And so once you do understand what's happening, then you should take appropriate steps. And so I'm happy to discuss the spectrum of what that is. And hopefully, uh, you know, consumers that uh, or people, anyone, you know, anyone who's listening to this can uh, make their own decisions based on how much they want to, you know, exploit themselves and, and uh, or not. And so the, the, mm -hmm. the, the spectrum is really wide. Yeah, of course, we can talk about a million things. But what, what I want to talk about is what, what I'm kind of familiar with being, you know, coming from years of branding and advertising and marketing and been doing that um, old school when I started. 
you know, before the commercial internet, really, and and the commercial internet and the come of social media. So I think you're kind of already touching on on that and exploiting privacy because, as or at this point, a lot of people say, if you're not the client, you're the product. So if you don't pay for something, you're still paying for something right. with something. And for me, it comes to do you know or you don't know? Have you been tricked into, hey, this is free. I'm not going to tell you what I'm going to do with all your data. Or here's where you can do. You can pay and get the ads. You can pay or not pay and give me your data. How do you feel about that? I mean, you said you've, you've been into yeah. this media buying industry. How, how has this evolved and how do you feel about that from an ethical perspective? Yeah, yeah, I, I have a lot of opinion about that. So I understand both sides of it. I understand the advertising side. I understand how advertising tech works. I've built my own technologies around that. I also understand the the risk uh, for the consumer. I think the problem starts with disclosure and explicit sort of communication that doesn't exist in the relationship between the advertiser and the consumer. And and, and it's it's been ambiguous over the years. And it's become even more ambiguous now. And advertisers, ad networks, and, and various advertisers don't necessarily control the interaction between uh, their product and the consumer online because of third-party networks and technologies like browsers and devices that are standing between the advertiser and the consumer. So there's a lot of um, uh, uh, you know sort of dependency on these other players, these third parties. To deliver the right message, to communicate disclosure properly, to deal with that information the way that they said they're going to deal with it, and so there's a big delta there. More importantly, is that the laws that have been enacted, so GDPR and all kinds of other laws in the United States and in Europe, to protect the consumer, address one layer of 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 this of this problem. Right? They're saying, well, if you're going to collect, you know, first name, last name, and email address of someone. You have to maintain certain disclosures. You have to, you know, let them opt out, etc. Where the advertisers are moving towards is fingerprinting, digital fingerprinting, where they don't need to know who you are. They don't need to know your name, your IP address. It's all being recorded in form of a digital profile that can travel with you anywhere you go. So you can be 10 steps away from the actual transaction process and still know who that person is, regardless of their IP address, their, even their name or anything, anything demographically or psychographically associated with them. And so that fingerprinting comes in lots of different flavors. It's how you type, it's websites you visit, it's, it's your digital footprint that's unique to you. It cannot be duplicated by anyone. When you add artificial intelligence on top of this, it becomes impossible to to block because anything you do online becomes very clearly identifiable, okay? And so in the uh, uh, sort of, the government uses this tech to track bad people, right? That, that's been going on for a long time. And we know that, and I think that's totally okay because you have to have this layer of sophistication where you're blocking against terrorist attacks or some sort of, you know, uh, behavior that, that could, you know, hurt people. But when it comes to practical living, you know, someone buying an insurance policy and buying a car or whatever, 
that information needs to be mitigated. And so where, when you start interacting with digital devices, every one of your steps that you take, whether it's downloading an app or doing something within that app, it's all recorded, it's all tracked. It's not done to hurt you, it's just done as a matter of process. This is what these companies do. And so a, a practical sort of solution is don't give up information if you don't have to give it up, okay? Just don't give it to anyone. If you're going to give up information and you don't know this other entity, this party, this app, this company, this website, don't give them real information. You can give hypothetical information that that you can later retract or not use, so that you can't they can't use it, a, you know, against you. Uh, the other one is uh, separate yourself from being digitally identified. So use special tools that obfuscate digital fingerprinting. In other words, tools that make it seem as if the company that wants that information is getting it, but in fact, they're getting inaccurate information. So you're basically creating like a smoke screen around yourself. There's tools to do that. Put a VPN on your device. So if you are traveling or you're at home and you want your IP to be obfuscated for certain transactions or certain uh, websites or certain apps, then use a VPN. There are lots of benefits to using these types of tools. And so you have to be aware that those risks are out there and that you need to take precautionary steps, not at every time, not every time you connect to the internet, not at every app that you use, but in some instances you should use uh, uh, you know, these, these, these technologies to protect yourself. So it sounds to me, and I understand that, that of course it's up to the user in, in right. certain circumstances, but there is the GDPR, you know, there is the, the, the California um, Protection Act and many others, which to be honest, it's kind of a pain. So I, I'm gonna get to convenience versus security, right? Convenience versus uh, paying the price for it. So it's all great. I'm in the, I'm in the cybersecurity field. I'm, you know, gonna be at RSA pretty soon in San Francisco, I hear the stories and I think about the everyday user and, you know, I'm not, not a cybersecurity expert per se, but I mean the, you know, I talk about it quite a bit from a society perspective. And then I think about, I don't know, my friends or my dad or my wife or whatever it is. I'm like, even if I say use it to FA to factor authentication, I can see the, the eyes roll all the way back in the, in the head. Right. And it's like, damn, you know, or, or password manager. I mean, we, we've talked about this thing for a long time, but don't you, is there, on your opinion, a, a different approach that could change things? I mean, do yeah. you see like regulation to be, and the other question is too, is once the, your personal information are out of the bag, can you put it back in the bag? Like, you know, <laughs> For, you know, right to be forgotten. I don't know. Um, yeah. I'm not a big fan of it. <laughs> it, it you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to answer that. So I'll, I'll do my best. I think uh, the, te the technology companies have a duty and responsibility to to be good actors, right? In, in this in this you know theater, right? They have to um, uh, do the right thing at the end of the day. And so what they don't do very well is they don't, and, and this is actually consistent across the board with all tech, 
they don't think of cybersecurity as a component of their development process, right? So when they sit down and say, let's build an app, dating app, what have you, cybersecurity or security, whether it's privacy or physical security or, or virtual security, doesn't come into their mind. They, they, don't, they don't think of it as, as a must-have. They think of it as a good-to-have and also a reaction to something bad happening. So let's take dating, online dating, for example, right? There are lots of problems in the online dating world, fake profiles, scams, people who don't, you know, are not who they say they are, fake pictures, uh, uh, you know, what have you. There's all kinds of problems, right? The companies who develop these apps didn't think about those things before they made those apps. They should have because that's a that's a, a natural sort of uh, evolution of the problem, right? If you're going to create these virtual environments, there's going to be scams. So they react to them when the bad something someone gets hurt, someone gets killed, someone complains. Then they Im improve and then they iterate. Why don't we have the same requirements we have for the automotive industry or the pharma pharmaceutical industry for the tech industry? If you if you go buy if you build a car. You can't sell it to consumers until Department of Transportation says that bumper works. Those seat belts are there for a reason. The engine is supposed to be this size and the car width needs to be this. If that, those guardrails are not there, you're going to have cars made out of cardboard and running on nuclear fusion around, around the streets because no one is paying attention to the rules. That's what we have, have. That's what's going on with the tech world. There are no guardrails. And so the government at some point in the, in the late 90s or 2000 had the Section 230 enacted, with, which gave basically carte blanche to every tech company to do whatever they want with the data they collect and the data they utilize for, for, for their websites or their apps and then different digital environments. And so since then, there hasn't been any changes to it. But Section 230 is a horrible law. It, it it needs to be changed and updated to you know conform to modern standards. Can, can you can you explain it for the audience that may not not know? I mean, I, of course, not the entire law, but kind of like the sure. gist of it and and why it's, it is a problem. Yeah, it's relatively simple. It basically, says that if you are someone like a, a social media company and someone posts content on your network that content is not the responsibility of the social network. Because they're not the one producing that content. Because they're not the one producing it. Yeah. It's the same, same concept of a telephone. You know, are you responsible for the conversation that takes place mm -hmm. on the phone? Is the mm -hmm. phone company responsible? And that's their, that's their logic. The difference is, is that the conversation that happens on the phone is not public information. Mm -hmm. But the content that is delivered online can become public and is public and is indexed. Okay. So that argument doesn't work in today's world. And 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 I and I think um, uh, the you know lawmakers are afraid or don't know how to change the law to address this concern, and more importantly, are pressured by the big tech companies not to change it. Because if they do change this law, can you imagine what will happen to big companies? like Facebook and others who live off of this. They live off of this content. And so um, there are ways to mitigate this. I think that if you put the right disclosures in place, make them explicit, 
tell users what exactly is going to happen once they submit their information, what's not going to happen. If you need to do something with that data and share it, just ask, tell the user and say, you know what, we're going to sell your first name, last name and address to 50 companies and they're going to pay us a lot of money. We're going to give you a small fraction of that payment. Do you agree? Yes or no? Yes, I agree. Guess what? Everybody gets paid. Everyone has an understanding of what's going to happen, and we move on with our day. But what happens is all this activity happens in the background without our knowledge. They can make money. Consumers don't make any money. And then later you find out that some broker had your information. You get upset, and, and you start you know, filing lawsuits and you know, all that. And so I think the, 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 there's a little gap there between disclosure, um, you know, opportunity to, to maybe even make some money for the consumer and, and mitigate that situation before it becomes a problem. So that's not there. I don't think it'll ever be there. Well, you know, I know we're getting philosophical, which is my territory. I love that. You know, when we're going to the, the people think and, you know, like it's just the definition of privacy. You started with that, you know, privacy now is not what privacy used to be. <laughs> You know, right. it's kind of a joke, but you know it is. Uh, but I was reading the other day on, and actually no, it wasn't even real. It was on NPR. There was a, a, a segment about how big stores. I'm not going to put names there, but imagine a lot of big chains that give you a card, so you get a discount. You put your phone number in there, you get the discount. Right. Well, it doesn't stop there. It's not that they do it. They get your information of everything you buy just for their own sake and give you a better service. They sell it to third party, that they then sell it to third party. Then they, they re-aggregate the crap out of it, sorry for the word. And all of a sudden they know, I don't know if somebody's pregnant, they know if, uh, you know, how many people you have in the family, you got kids. I mean, crazy. And this is even without the internet. I mean, even right. with our computation and big data, this was done years and years ago. So it's right. not a new system. And it's just amplified to the extreme when you do it online. You know, right. when the, 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 you know, the Smiley company does it, it's okay because you get the recommendation that you want and you're okay with it. But do you really know what's going on in the back of that? But my question is, do you think people really care? Well, some people care. <laughs> I think that not maybe not everyone, but I think some people care. I think the 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 question should be is whether or not if you don't want your information to be tracked, you should have the ability to do that. You should Agreed. be able to say to the company, I don't want to be tracked. And here, you know, I don't need to tell you why. I just don't want to be tracked for whatever yeah. reason. So I think that option should exist. And that option should not be, you know it should not exist in some sort of a vacuum or, uh, you know, uh, it, it should be easy for you to do so. And it currently isn't. The benefit of predictability, meaning the, whether it's artificial intelligence or, or uh, uh, big businesses, big tech companies being able to kind of predict what you're going to do, there's a benefit to that. And in fact, the benefit is dramatic. If, if you, um, you know, are, are being offered certain products at the right moment, if you're driving and, and you're being told where to go and to avoid traffic, if you know, 
if your life becomes better with predictability and artificial intelligence, then everybody wins because it's a good thing, right? Mm -hmm. But the minute you don't want that, the minute you don't want to be predicted, you, you don't want to be pitched, you should be able to say no. And that no is does not exist in a vacuum. It needs to be clearly communicated to those parties involved. And maybe it's temporary no. Maybe I don't want to be trapped for two days. And then I want to turn it back on again, right? It's not permanent. And so that mechanism of control doesn't exist. And so you have to be the, the warrior at the end of the day, utilizing these different technologies, knowing to turn them on or off and mitigate it yourself. Which is crazy. Come on. Crazy, it's, but it's what mean, it is. I know. So talking about this, I like to touch, I don't know, we didn't we didn't talk about this before, but um, what you just mentioned, it makes me think about the the promise of web 3.0 and the whole encryption and all the thing that, you know, I'm going to turn it on when I need it to do this transaction. I'm going to take it back inside my wallet again and you can't get my information anymore. Right. I'm asking this to different people and, and some people are very excited about it. Some people say, yeah, it's kind of marketing pitch. Um, how do you feel about this? Do you think it, it could actually happen that all of a sudden we switch something and, and we have a better system? Well, I, I don't think it's going to happen like that quickly. I, what, what, what I, the idea behind uh, virtual reality, first of all, virtual reality has been here for a long time. And I don't know if you remember the virtual reality markup language, VRML. It was a HTML alternative that basically allowed you to write code in such a way where everything was a virtual reality. There were special browser plugins for it. This is Netscape days. This is 15 years old or maybe even more. more. And they were off because it required a lot of computing power. And so for virtual reality, Web3 to actually work in the way it's intended to work, we don't have the computing power today to do it. We don't have the chips. We don't have the internet speed. So that's the one of the biggest sort of stumbling blocks we're going to be coming across over the next five, 10 years. The bigger issue is utility of this technology, right? So do we want to use virtual reality as a replacement to other tech, which is yeah, what- and I, and I was talking about more than that to the encryption. So, you know, I was okay. talking about the, the old encryption and, uh, you know, the, the, the like kind of like the cryptocurrency and, and, okay. and the whole system like that. So sure. virtual sure. reality is another thing, of course, but I was referring to retaining in, in, the, in the crypto chain uh, your individuality and not sharing it with everybody. Right. So, so the, 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 you know, one of the uh, problems that uh, Web3 is trying to solve is the virtualization of communication streams. So right now when you have SMS, email, we have all these different ways, social media accounts, you, you have to maintain different code bases, different mm. security protocols for all those different streams of communication. Imagine if they all went away and the only thing you had was your virtual reality presence in the Web3 space. So mm -hmm. think of it as an avatar. Got it, got it. Okay. Right? So that avatar is now talking through all these different streams, email, web, the whole thing. And its security is really your digital identity that happens in Web3. So the security component is virtualized and it's almost like a sandbox in the cloud. Like it doesn't hit you on your device. It hits you in the cloud. So all those messages and everything else that goes there, that's much easier to control from a security standpoint than 
the machine that that is currently getting hit with the threat because mm. every every machine has to be separately managed separately secured not the virtual environment virtual environment can be secured in real time much faster than the the endpoint device needs to be secured for a zero day attacks all that that's an ideal scenario okay mm. are we even close to that no one has this technology no one's talking about this technology. I don't know what Facebook is working on with tens of billions of dollars spent. Are they building video games? Are they building actual new world operating system, new world security environments, which is what we really need, not more video games. And so I don't, I, you know, I, I think we're far away from this. It's all hypothetical. And um, yes, it'd be great if your identity is presented in, in this virtual form. And the the blockchain, or maybe some derivative of blockchain. I'm not a big fan of blockchains. I don't think it's sophisticated. I think it's old tech. There's other ways to 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 do this. You don't need a a a, a blockchain to track information. It's, I think that's it's a waste of energy because you're you're tracking information that's inconsequential. There mm. there are other tech, better tech out there to secure your your virtual identity. But what would be interesting is if you if that virtual identity was was first of all very secure and second of all was an opportunity for you meaning if that if your information is used in any way you get paid if your information is looked up a certain way you know who's looking at it you can control turn off turn on right and, and the advocates of, of of cryptocurrency their big pitch is you don't need a bank you can just store your own money we can't even store keep our packages safe in front of our house from <laughs> People who steal our, you know, Amazon boxes, right? Somehow we're going to be good stewards of of uh, cryptocurrency in a virtual environment. It sounds amazing, but it, it's not practical in today's world. It has to be really secure and stable for someone to take the position that banking is necessary, and 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 I can maintain my own currency, my own digital identity, my own digital life in a virtual environment in a in a very secure form. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I get, uh, no, go ahead, go ahead, finish. No, I was going to say, hopefully we'll get there. I don't think we're anywhere near that point. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that it's, it's beautiful to think about that as the utopia, the ideal solution. But the reason why I ask you that, and I'm still thinking the, all the wall gardens that we're dealing with every day. And, I, and now I understand why you went with the virtual reality, meaning your, your virtual digital Twin persona that's that's right. what you use and right. you realize as you just said how complicated it is because not only you have different languages but you have you know you are different password you are different logins you can't just log into facebook and login into another one with the same i mean they're trying to do that you know they're trying to say log with this log with that on right. you know that but already you have i don't know three four five different competitors in that and they're all trying to keep you in their own wall garden and i kind of think about that when i think about the metaverse and and people like yeah there is this metaverse and there is this metaverse and i'm like if you want to call it metaverse it's one it's like wild. the moment i can go with my stuff from one to another that's going to be the metaverse otherwise you're giving me another platform you know it, it's it's not what i'm thinking uh, to be honest with you, and and I think I, I think we went a little bit on the tangent here with that, but I, it does connect with this concept of privacy, which is where I want to end our conversation again. 
And I don't know if there is an answer, which many times during my conversation, there isn't, there's not an answer. <laughs> there is a lot of thinking, a lot of thoughts, a lot of if and maybe and what would be. And But the, the reality is that right now, I don't think there is a, a solution that you just take it, apply it, and all of a sudden the whole, the whole internet and connective world is going to change. I, I, I see the future uh, where consumers are going to take extraordinary steps to protect their privacy. I think I, I see a future where privacy exploitation will reach levels that we haven't seen before because it's extremely profitable and, and saves companies a lot of money by being very micro micro targeted um, on consumer behavior. It reduces the inefficiency of the, the advertising dollar and inefficiency of the manufacturing process, inefficiency of human capital investment. And so if you look at all those areas of opportunity and you use artificial intelligence to reduce these costs, you're going to want to invest heavily into micro-targeting. And so I think we're, we're just at the cusp of that, of the rise of that. On a consumer side, I think you're going to see clothing designers come up with products that obfuscate your facial uh, so, you know, uh, 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 you know, your visual of your face in such a way where cameras cannot detect your bi biometrically identify you. I think you're going to see technologies that obfuscate your physical presence by giving away fake information so that beacons cannot pick up on your geolocation. I think you're going to see uh, uh, tools and software that that obfuscates your metadata online so that it makes it seem like you're in one place where you're not because you don't want to be robbed or you don't want someone to know where you're actually currently present at your friends or family whatever um, advertisers and so I think we're going to see a lot of evolution going in separate directions I don't think we're going to see kind of everyone come together and, and shake hands and say, here's how we're going to play nice in the sandbox. That's not <laughs> going to happen. It's the opposite. And we're going to see consumers that are going to be very sophisticated, who are going to have very special tools equipped with hardware and software and, and special utilities that protect their identity on different levels. And uh, businesses are going to get even more sophisticated to, uh, to address this opportunity in terms of micro-targeting. It's happening already. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish we had the the the, the answer for for everything, and uh, forty two maybe, you know, uh, that's the, the the magic number. But it is it, it's just the way we are, you know. It's uh, social engineering; it's been done since the beginning of our societies. It, now it's done different; it's exponential. Uh, I I think like online has brought everything you know ai I, I had conversation about ai and use for uh you know use it for phishing email and it's like yeah it, you can have a targeted phishing email one-on-one -on -one done by an ai in you know in fraction of a right. second instead of having to send the same one to everyone and let's see who bites i mean it's gonna get difficult and difficult so i don't want to scare anyone but i also think that education is definitely that and the, and the answer again is maybe to go back to, to the social media and the bubble of information and are they responsible or not. I, I think in the end, somebody's going to have to take some responsibility because like you said, it's not about one single call. It's about you and thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people are seeing that fake news, for example. Right. And somebody got to do something about it. Is, is it going to be an AI? I don't know. 
but somebody's going to have to catch that thing. And, and I think companies are doing a lot. I think it's not in their interest to keep this going out of control. I, I think that, you know, if, if you could put the future of blockchain uh, on the map here in terms of how it could help, I think where it could help is on collective intelligence level. In other words, mm. consumers creating their own network of intelligence that fights back on a collective level, not on an individual level. And so individually, you can only spend so much on cybersecurity and, and, and privacy tools. I mean, let's say it's thousands of dollars a year, that, and that's very high. But if you are uh, uh, using collective thinking, collective you know, reasoning, collective uh, 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 you know, sort of security across the network, you can spend a lot more collectively and defend your yourself against these types of threats. And so we we're far even further away from that. But once we have very high, you know, high end chips that are can be embedded into, uh, you know, our bodies and, and we come closer to the singularity and all, all those things are happening, you're going to see collective security as a as a as a sort of barrier to entry for anyone, for businesses or governments, what have you. I think we're somehow going to get there, um, you know, in the next, you know, maybe 20 uh, to, to, to 30 years. But that's the best security, um, you know, measurement that you can take is, is only when you have the masses, not not individually or just your device. The power of the crowd. You know, I like that concept of collective security, um, the, the idea of community coming together, either small businesses or cities that yeah. create that protection. I think it's 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 great because it doesn't preclude globalization, but it does enforce the the community again, which you know it's it's part of who we are. So Gary, I, I enjoyed this conversation. We went all over the places, but I think uh, again, a show like this is successful. An episode like this, if uh, makes people think. So I want I want people to think. I think there was a lot of interesting point that you made in terms of. Be on guard and uh, and and take precaution, and most of all, understand what you're using as much as you can. Given that nothing comes with a manual anymore, and probably we we couldn't even understand half of half of half of that manual, but at least some disclaimers, I think it could be could be helpful. And until then, yeah, just just do what you can and uh, stay tuned because we'll have many more conversations like this on. Uh, redefining society because we do we do need to change and redefine ourselves as we go and maybe not as fast as technology evolved but you know we gotta try to keep up and the people like gary that, that look at these things um do this uh business out of this and think about what the possible outcome will be i think it's a good thing so share it with your friends and family. If you thought you got something out of that, subscribe to Redefine Society podcast and ITSP magazine. And uh, of course, in the notes, there'll be links to Gary, his company, what he does and, uh, and how to get in touch with, with him. So Gary, thank you so much. Great conversation. Marco, thank you. Pleasure being here. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com.
BugCrowd's award-winning platform combines actionable contextual intelligence with the skill and experience of the world's most elite hackers to help leading organizations identify and fix vulnerabilities, protect customers, and make the digitally connected world a safer place. Learn more at bugcrowd.com. Black Cloak provides concierge cybersecurity protection to corporate executives and high net worth individuals to protect against hacking, reputational loss, financial loss, and the impacts of a corporate data breach. Learn more at blackcloak.io. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.